disciples and he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay, simple question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, if you're asked a question and you don't know what the reference is about, you're going to be very confused. Now, we all have heard something about the Holy Spirit, so we understand what the reference is, probably intuitively speaking. But if you have never heard, so like I say, you know, when you were believed, did you, um, were you informed about the flying spaghetti monster? You might be going, what? Never heard of such a thing because, well, rightfully so, you were never taught about it. But the Holy Spirit is something that needs to be taught about. And that's why he asked, did you hear about this Holy Spirit? So their answer to the question is no. We haven't even heard. So we've spent the first half of last time looking at the whole personal Holy Spirit. And we summed it up in that, what I put on the bottom here in the slides, the, the wonderful Holy Spirit. He's, first of all, I didn't put this, but it's a person. It's a person. It's God. It's a person of God, active, living within us. So he's not a thing. He's not a force. He's not a neutral kind of, you know, energy source. Okay. He's a person. He has a mind. He's got a will. But he's also, as we saw through the scriptures, is a gift. Our bodies are the temples of the, the, the home, the house of the Holy Spirit. He is a helper that dwells within us. He teaches and guides in the truth. He gives understanding, counsel, might. He gives might and gives the ability to rightly fear the Lord. And we know from the, the Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, of wisdom and understanding. So he helps us to understand things by giving us a right understanding of who God is. He gives us understanding about things to come. He declares things about Christ. He is for those who ask the Father for him. Where um, he is, there is also freedom. Those who have received him have received power, and this power gives us hope. So that's just a snippet, a mini systematic theology, if you will, of the person of the Holy Spirit. There's much more that can be said. Another thing, next slide, please, we, we talked about in review, is baptism. Again, something we can also build a, a, a systematic theology about. Baptism, what does it mean? You know, the Bible talks about it quite a lot. It's referred to quite a lot in scriptures. And again, I did go through a lot of verses. I'm not going to do it again because this is just a review, just to kind of get us back on page where we left off last time. But um, um, here in verse 3, he says, So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And now the word baptism, in, in the way I, I understand baptism, is through the Greek um, Definition, immersion or submersion. Um, and, and so if you remember, I asked these questions, you know, what are we immersed in? What are we submersed, you know, by? Um, you know, where do you live? Where do you swim? Where do you breathe? Where does where your life come from? And, and, I, and I made kind of an apologetic, if you will, of, of it's not enough to just have an act, a physical act of, of baptism. It, it's a way of life. And that's why I like about the word Baptism, you know, to immerse 
or to submerse yourself under or within the, 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 whatever the, the thing is, right? So here we have John's baptism, which is repentance. So being immersed in repentance. But you also have the one that coming after him, which is Jesus. And, the, and what Jesus brought was forgiveness of sins. So being immersed in God's kingdom and the fact that Jesus, you live for Jesus and you can live with, for Jesus and you can live for God because of the forgiveness of sin, which brings a third aspect, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit can't come into a life that's tarnished by sin, okay? So we've, we need that first immersion of of repentance. You need to have that change, that understanding that something's wrong and needs to be corrected. That's the first step. And the second step is forgiveness. Okay, without forgiveness by God, there's no hope of having a real interaction with God, okay? Because God can't hang out with sin. He can't look at the, the tarnish, the darkness of sin in, in a person's life. But he can forgive it. And that's by the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's that second immersion, okay? That second baptism, you know? Being washed by the, the blood of, of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness of sins. Then we have this awesome act of relationship with God through the person of the Holy Spirit. So you see how that works? And it's awesome. And we looked at the person of the Holy Spirit. We just did that in the last slide as a reminder. All those things are for us for the disciples. But I think it's important that we know that these are accessible, these are tools that we have in our lives. You know, a lot of times, if you don't know these things, like the disciples in Ephesus didn't know these things, they'd live their life just like anyone else, trying to physically, or in the flesh, as Paul described it, trying to make sense of life, try to live their life, try to be very practical and pragmatical. I know that's not a word. But you know what I'm saying? That's the way they live their lives, without this knowledge that actually you can hang out with God and he can give you direct input to your life. What? Yeah, I'm glad you got the repentance part done, but man, you need to know now that you're, you're forgiven because of Jesus Christ. Awesome. But no, it's not just that. A lot of Christians live just with that. But listen, but the Holy Spirit wants to hang out with you now. Now he can hang out with you. Now he's able to. Remember how the prophets used to hang out with the Holy Spirit and he was kind of about them. But now he, the Holy Spirit could be within us. And this is what we learned the last time. Let's move on to, to this morning's message. It goes on in Acts 19, verse 5, okay? Saying this. Acts 19, verse 5 says, On hearing this, these disciples were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, something interesting happened. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there, there were about 12 men in all. And again, because of these, the, 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 the issue or the, the, the topic of the Holy Spirit... And the topic of baptism. And now we have two new topics, tongues and prophecies. We have a lot of things that have been talked and argued and, and, and thought about and over, the, over the past several years. And so I think it's important that we just sit and think about these things. Now, the good thing is about tongues is you can't really build a hefty systematic theology about it. And the reason being is the scriptures don't talk a whole lot about it. There's only a few portions of scriptures, and I'm going to deal with that today. Easy peasy. In fact, that's all we're going to do for the rest of the day, for the next 15 minutes, is just look at tongues, really, and what the Bible does say about it. Okay, I'm going to take the two best 
examples and the best descriptions of what tongues are all about. Another thing is prophecies. Now, prophecies is something that the Bible talks about quite a lot. The whole Bible is in itself a prophecy, if you will. And prophecy really is, as it says in this definition down below, it's to, to break forth under sudden impulse and lofty discord. Now, okay, I, I didn't do service here. The, the word prophecy, um, prophet, propheteo, it, it, it's quite a long definition, okay? I, t- I, put, I, I picked out the portion that, that, that I believe describes what we saw here. This breaking forth under sudden impulse and loftiest course or praise of the divine counsels under like prompting teach to teach, to refute, reprove, admonish, and comfort others. Now, the last little bits kind of tie in with a broader definition of what prophecies are. Prophecy is the way how I see it and the way I'm going to bring it forth to you guys is when God wants to talk to people. When God wants to talk to you, he uses a prophet. When God wants to talk to me, he uses a prophet. Now, the prophet might be yourself, and the prophet might be someone else, and the prophet certainly is Paul and John and James and Jesus and um, Joshua and Moses. and You know what I'm saying? Those are, those are prophets. It's, 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 it's instruments in which God uses to communicate to, to us, okay? So, so, so prophecies, if we can just keep it as simple as that, because I know, again, a lot of people, we can spend probably weeks talking about the nature of prophecies and trying to categorize and subcategorize all the different kinds of prophecies. And I'm not going to do that. I want to keep it really general and, 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 and say prophecies is God speaking. And here what we see, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, we see two things. And one of those things is a prophecy. People were talking, and we're going to look at the nature of prophecy. And prophecy is for edification. It's for understanding what's going on. It's for understanding God and what God is doing. So that's a part of what happened here. It wasn't confusing. It wasn't mysterious. It wasn't confounding. It wasn't, it wasn't a show. It wasn't a demonstration of, of personalities. What was happening here was God was moving amongst group people and, and, and the prophetic nature of it was to make clear what God was doing. It was understandable. God was moving and he was moving in a way that was clear and understandable. People were getting to genuinely understand and know God in a genuine, understandable way. Okay. I'm not going to do much more about the prophecy side of things. I'm just going to leave it at that. I want to look at the tongues because the tongues is where things get a little bit funky. Now the word tongues can be, you know, trans, or not translated, but um, um, defined as a language, okay? So let's keep it really simple, tongues. It's a language, a language or a dialect used by a particular people distinct from that of other nations. Okay, now, when you walked in, you probably thought tongues or Shadabada Honda or a Civic or something, right? Now, that's what a lot of people think about in our culture, about tongues. It's, it's something that, that might be frightful for a lot of us and something that might, some, some, some of you in this room might actually have a gift of tongues and understand it a lot by subjective first person, you know, you know relation to that gift. However, for, for most of us, including myself, who doesn't have the gift of tongues in, in a private devotional sense, it's a, it's a freaky thing. It's a scary thing. And, and, but the thing is, I don't want to judge people who have the gift of the tongues. It's, it is a gift. And Paul even says it's a gift, right? But I want, to, I want to understand it. I want to understand it so that I can respect those who've got the gift. I want to understand it so that I can make sense of what the tongues and what the nature of the tongues is. What is God doing with these tongues? And again, and I think, first of all, what we need to do is remember it's a language. It's a form of communication. Isn't that what language is? Language is a form of communication. So when we see tongues, you know, being properly 
done. Now, there's tongues that's done improperly, and that's not communication. It's just nonsense. But we see tongues done properly. It's communication. It's a language. Next slide, please. So, communication. Divine communication 101. Don't worry about that. That's just a fancy graphic I found. Okay. The way how I see things, looking at, at these scriptures and looking at other scriptures that deals with, with especially with tongues, okay? And also, I even introduced prophecies in this as well. Uh, I see that there are three kinds or functions, the way that these things operate, okay, of communication, divine communication, okay? We see, or actually, I, I wouldn't even say this is quite general, people communicating, but, but God's definitely involved with this particular kind of communication. There's three different kinds. First, there's personal, between one person, one believer. So it has to be a believer because a believer has this interaction with God, the Holy Spirit, and God. So a very personal, private. Okay, so remember that, the first one. Personal, private, devotional, worshipful. And it's intimately between one believer and God. That's it. Okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have some proof texts in a moment, okay? I just put this slide in first so that I can kind of throw it out there to let you guys mull it over. But I'm going to give you some proof texts in a moment. Number two, the third kind, or second kind, is for the benefit which, or a sign for a group of unbelievers. Or Bible talks about Gentiles, people of other nations, others. It's a sign or for the benefit of a group of unbelievers. Again, okay, interesting. So you have two groups now. A group of unbelievers, and then the third is a group of believers. And that's the third, which is the benefit or the edification of a group of believers. So if these are the three functions and forms or kinds of communication, one is between one person and God, one is for a group of unbelievers, and one's for a group of believers. Okay, does that make sense? how God might communicate with different groups of people, either on a one-on-one basis or in a large group or a group like this, even a small group situation. And, 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 and you need to use the right kind or mode of communication you know, to be effective, right? So the two methods are these, the tongues and the prophecies. First, you got tongues, which is a language, Okay. No, I, I, I marked it for ease, for, for simplicity and for ease. I mark them as type one, type two, okay? Type one relates to the first kind of communication. Personal between one believer and God. Simple as that. And type two relates to the second kind of communication for the benefit or a sign of a group of unbelievers, okay? Now, you might think it's odd. Why would God use a tongue? Well, when we look at the scriptures, it'll make perfect sense. It's actually quite beautiful and wonderful when we see it in scriptures, especially when we, and you guys, we've already studied it. It's Acts chapter two. You guys, we've already looked at it together and how God really did a wonderful thing by using the gift of tongues as a sign to the people. It's awesome. But I want you guys to think about the three different kinds of communications. Just personal, in a group setting, both of believers and unbelievers. Now, the tongues are used to, just between one person and God. And tongues are also used um, as a sign for a group of unbelievers. And then you have the second one. And this is important. This is what we do at church most of the times, guys. Or in home group Bible studies, stuff like that. This is very important. And that's a prophetic one. Again, prophecy means simply God communicating to people. You know, and so it, 
a group of people. And we have to use a language that we all understand. If I start speaking in French, it's not going to edify you. It's not going to help you. If I start speaking in German or in Latin, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what language. And if I use Greek as to define certain things, I have to define what the word is, right? I can't just use the Greek words. I have to define what it means. And I need to translate it to English so that you, because you guys are English-speaking people. You need to understand what I'm saying. And that's what prophecies are all about. So, and these prophecies are intelligent, intelligible words from God. And these relate to the third kind of communication for the benefit of edification of a group of believers. Now let's look at the proof scriptures, guys. Next slide. And I hate to say the biggest one, the biggest, most beautiful description of what is going on here is found in 1 Corinthians 14. This is it. This is the, this is the Mac Daddy for, for church and the function of church and the operation, proper operation of tongues and prophecies. Okay? Tongues. At first, he's going to talk about the type one tongues. Remember what type one is? Personal. Just one person and God's. Okay? So this is for God, for worship. And for and also we see the prophecies, which is for the building of things up. You know, using a group. So it says, pursue love in 1 Corinthians 14, 1. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their uh, upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. You see the one on one nature here. It's for the individual, for myself. It's a spiritual thing. And as Paul's gonna say later on, it's just a spiritual thing. It's not really that intellectual at all, it's purely spiritual. So it's a movement, it's a feeling, it's an emotion. And so it only benefits one person. So if you're going to get together as a group of people, and we all start like doing our own little thing, what's the point of getting together? Just stay at home and do your own little thing. But we get together because we want to be edified together. And that's what he's saying here. That's why prophecies are important. And later on he's going to say, I understand you know, tongues. And here he says a rhetorical question before we get to that. And verse 5, now I want you all to speak in tongues. Okay, I'm cool with it. So Paul's like me. I'm cool with it. If you want to speak it, speak it. But even more to prophesy, please, 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 it's important that you prophesy. Because that is where the, the value of edification comes from. That's how we get together and have vision and goals and passions and missions. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks. Now, I'm not saying he thinks he's like, like there's, there's like values of gifts. And what he's saying is it, 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 it has more of a utilitarian you know, function. It, 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 it utilizes better. You know what I'm saying? Because if we're all hanging about just doing this thing for an hour and a half, and then at the end going, okay, guys, see you next week. You know what I'm saying? There's no, there's no, utility, you know, there's no value with that as far as utility. Oh my gosh, you can see the word. My brain would have fries. But, when, but if we get together and we can talk clearly, like I'm trying to do right now, I'm failing, it, 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 there's, there's, there's benefits to that. There's value suffocation. So the one who prophesies is greater than one, okay, unless, and I think this is a rhetorical statement, unless someone interprets. And the reason why I say it's rhetorical is I've never seen this practice effectively, okay? And I could be wrong, but I think it's rhetorical. I think Paul is saying here, unless someone's there to walk around and interpret what everyone's saying, I think he's trying to make a point here. That the best way to communicate is prophesying, speaking the word of God, talking about God, opening the word of God. Even if you want to make it very subjective, like this is how what God says to me, and this is what God's doing in my life, that's fine. But as long as it's communicated in an intelligent way. 
But if, some, if we're all going, you know, and stuff like that, and then and you get to have someone walk around and say, okay, now what are you saying? Interpret it and then like and restate it to the group. And that's a hassle. And it's also not realistic. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, and I believe Paul spoke tongues, so he's different than me. I don't speak tongues, so I don't get it. He, he gets it, but he can speak on it a lot more, you know, from a subjective, you know, personal you know, matter. So if he, if he comes speaking to you in tongues, it's like I came, like, I'm Paul. I come and I speak to you in tongues. Should have bought a Honda. Okay, now how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching, right? Verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world. And this is important. This, is, this actually starts to point us towards the type two prophecy. There's so many languages in the world. I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. <coughs> so with yourself, since you are eager for manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. So again, he's making the same point as I did. If I came to you guys and started speaking to you in German or Latin or something like that, you'd be like, this is a waste of my time. And you're right, it would be a waste of your time. But I come speaking the same language that we all have in common, because I want to edify you. And when you come and teach or you're teaching your home Bible study, or you're talking to, your, to each other on Facebook or whatever. We, we, we use a language that we can all understand because our intention is to edify. And this is what Paul's trying to say. Prophecy is important because as a group, remember type three, form of communication, getting together as a group to communicate for the benefits, the edification, building up is the word he uses here. So we can learn together. And here he ends by saying, strive to excel in building up the church. That's important. When we get together, we get together not to build ourselves up, but to build up the church. We're a group. And we need to get together as a group to build each other up. This, this verse actually breaks my heart when I think of a people who, who, who are only interested in themselves and forsake fellowship coming to church. Because this is what the point is. The point of the church is to get together to build each other up. You know, that's the, that's the purpose of prophecy. If you say you're a prophet or prophetess, but you don't leave your house to spend time with other people, that's, that's, that goes against scripture completely. Next slide, please. So again, tongues, the type one kind, you know, the personal, devotional, worshipful ones. Are interpretations even possible? And I'm going to read through this one quite quickly. Because I think this kind of goes into the fact that I believe that Paul is speaking rhetorically and he talks about finding interpreters. And here he's making the spirit and a mind distinction. The spirit is the, the way how we kind of flow, move with God. But the mind is how we process information. Okay, so it's communication, it's talking, it's thinking, right? And here Paul makes a distinction in verse 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, so I bracket that, I pray in a tongue. That's a certain kind of prayer. That tongues, type one. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but look what happens to the mind. But my mind is unfruitful. So again, what's the mind for? It's about processing information. It's about reasoning. You can't reason. You just do a spiritual thing. It might be lovely. might feel lovely. It might make you feel grand at the end of it, enduring it or whatever. But your mind doesn't benefit from it. So that's actually kind of a, a little bit of a, hmm, you know, because if we're trying to build each other up and identify each other as a group, right, we need to speak clearly to one another. 
And if we're just worshiping God by ourselves, even though, the, the, like, like the scripture says, sometimes when we pray to God, we're so down, we need the Holy Spirit to interact. And he kind of gives us this groaning that's, that's almost sub-communication. It's just like, ah, oh, this, this Abba Father kind of, just God, I need you. And we understand that that is important. There's a part of that ministry of the Holy Spirit that helps us. When we can't make sense, our brains are fried, we can't think anymore, we just need God to hold us in his arms. So we understand there's a value to this. Just, just, just I just want to shut up and hang out with you, God. Just hold me, God. Okay, I get that. But it's not fruitful for the mind. It's not for growing and learning and, and ed, being edified. So what am I to do? Instead, Paul says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. So when we pray together, we pray in English, and we think, and we think to God, and we talk to God using a language that we all understand. That's what Paul is saying. So when I pray, I'll pray with my spirit and my mind. And when I sing praises, like our worship songs, we'll, we'll do it in the spirit, but we'll also we'll sing with our minds. So it's got to be communication language that we all understand. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the possession of a in, in the possession, position of an outsider, so how can an outsider say amen or yeah, I agree with you? So say like an outsider, someone comes in and we're all speaking a, a, a language that they don't understand. They're going to just get freaked out and leave. But if we speak in a language they can understand, then they can say, yeah, I get this. I understand this. Amen. That's what that means. Amen. I get it. I'm in agreement. So it goes on in verse 17. For you may be giving things well enough, but the other person is not being built up. Again, the other Type two and type three. Unbeliever, they need to hear something. Believers need to hear something that's, that, that they will be able to understand. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul says, I speak in tongues. I get it. And that's why I'm able to talk about it. Because I understand it. I do it myself. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words, just five words, with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words. Where's a tongue? Next slide, please. Okay, so, so far we got an idea of what prophecies in this type one tongues, this personal spirit, th- spirit thing, okay? That doesn't involve really the mind and the intellect. It's just a spirit thing for a person in God. It's like a big cuddle by God, okay? But now we're gonna look at the type two prophecies or tongues. Tongues type two are meant for unbelievers as a sign. And then you also see here prophecies, which are meant for believers. So like we saw earlier, function three, function two, function three. So 1 Corinthians 14, 20, brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil. So if you want to be ignorant, be ignorant in your knowledge of sin, but don't be ignorant in, in things of God and reality. But in your thinking, be mature, be grown up. In the law, it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So here Paul's talking about using, or well, Paul's referring to Isaiah 28, 11, and 12, where the, prophetically God says he's going to use strange tongues, foreign tongues, to communicate, okay, for evangelism. Verse 22, thus tongues are a sign for non-believers. Now he's talking about something completely or something different. We're still talking about tongues. We're talking about a language. But it's a different kind of language. Tongues that are a sign for, not for unbelievers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign for unbelievers, 
but not for believers. So we have tongues, type 2, for non-believers, while prophecies are for believers. This 22 is a direct proof text to my chart I showed you earlier. Verse 23, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, they will not say that you are out of their mind. So take verse 22 and 20, well, 22 mostly, and, and, and just put that in your back pocket for a moment. Let's finish up this verse with 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, okay, in a language that no one knows but yourself, and you probably don't even know it yourself, and outsiders, well, God will know it, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Okay. If I start speaking in a language, not even a known human language, but some divine language, and you start speaking a divine language, and you guys start speaking a divine language, and some person who doesn't know God, an unbeliever comes in, how are they going to get to know God? That's what Paul's saying. That's why it's important to prophesy to believers. And even if someone comes in, we don't have to stop and start speaking a special kind of tongue to them. It did happen. It was prophetic. But we don't have to do it. We continue our normal communication methods of prophesying using a known language. That's what Paul's saying here, right? Continue speaking intellectually, reasonably with the mind, using the language that you guys all have shared in common. If someone comes in, continue doing that. So I guess right now, the question, and it's a very good question, how in the world would tongues help unbelievers? Okay, again, verse 22, thus, tongues are not a sign for believers, but for unbelievers. If he's going on talking about tongues being something that's not mindful, that's, you know, that's, that's purely worshipful in spirit, how in the world is tongues help unbelievers? Well, Again, there's not much about tongues as far as a you know, doctrine, systematic in the Bible. But what is and what has been said is very, very helpful. And guys, you should know the answer to this question because we already looked at it in Acts chapter 2 last year and beginning of the year. Next slide, please. So tongues, again, type 2. This is a sign for non-believers for the purpose of evangelism. For other people, for the sake of the gospel witness. Now, again, talking about the most efficient form of communication. Okay, say like I, we were at a grand conference, and there were people all over the world who spoke different languages, and I want to communicate to them. What's the best way to communicate to them? Is it just to speak English and hope that they can just figure it out? Is it to get an interpreter? Or, well, if we're talking about different languages, we need probably a dozen interpreters and get them on headphones. I mean, using, using technology, using what we have today, you know, get, get a bunch of interpreters in a booth, getting them, you know, piping in the, the signal from here to them, having them reinterpret it and, and, and trusting that they're doing it right. You know what I'm saying? And then getting on the headphones. Okay. Does that seem effective? Well, it's more effective than just going for it and hoping and getting, you know, all the words going over people's heads. But isn't there a more isn't there, wouldn't, isn't there, wouldn't there be a more effective way if I can just speak in my language and you can just understand me in your own native language without an interpreter? Wouldn't that be the ultimate, like, I would call that miraculous. I'd call that supernatural kind of interpretation or, or interpreting. Well, that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 2. Let's read it. Acts 2.2 2 says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, there were all together in one place. All the people all around the world. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house. I'm sorry, the all here was the disciples in the upper room. My bad. 
And the, and the entire house was, was filled with the Holy Spirit, this rushing wind. And verse 3, divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rest on um, each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. So again, other tongues. Tongues. What does tongues mean? Tongues simply means a different language. A language. Right? That's all it means. A language. So these guys are getting this kind of language, this other kind of language, these tongues. As the Spirit is moving, he's uttering, he's talking, he's communicating. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And all the sound, the multitude came together. And by the way, this is a direct link to what Paul just said, in, uh, that, 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 using that Isaiah reference, okay? And at this sound, the multitude came together. So a great conference appeared. A great group of people appear. What's going on here? We want to know. Okay, so now you're right. The best way, if we all spoke the same language, would just to use that common language, right? But we have a problem here. The problem is we don't all speak the same common language. How do we solve the problem? Or how does God solve the problem? Well, God uses miracles. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Why were they bewildered? Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So this crazy, ultimate, efficient form of communication was going on using tongues. You can see how tongues wouldn't be efficient. If some Scottish fellow walked in from shots and I started speaking in tongues, seeing them go, oh, you're an unbeliever, shut up Honda, he'd go, you're weird, he's out of here, right? Now, in this situation where there's people all around the world, God uses tongues because it's the most efficient way to communicate to them. They're all hearing them. Even though they're hearing this guy speak in, in one language, they're understanding in their own personal dialect. There's no error of interpretation. There's no distraction, coding and decoding necessary. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not these those who speak Galilean? Again, wait, aren't these Galilean type of folks? What, what are they speaking my language for? How are they communicating to me? I'm from a different place. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own, our own native language? Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, you know, so on, so far as Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, all, all over Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. Now, bear in mind, they didn't have technology back then that we have today. So they couldn't have set up fancy booths with interpreters, with headphones. But that's okay. This is better. This is way better. And I guess the point I'm trying to make here, guys, is God wants to communicate to folk that his kingdom is at hand, and it's for you, and it's for them. And when we get together at church, we, we talk to each other using the language we all have in common because we want to make ourselves very clear, because we want to grow together and learn together. What we saw happening in Ephesus when Paul showed up, they're speaking in tongues and prophesying. There's not much, we're going to look a little bit more at some details in the weeks to come. But I want to talk about what tongues are all about and what prophecies are all about. It's about communicating. There's the most simplest form of communication where it's just like, God, I need to be in your embrace. And that's the personal type of devo, you know, devotional tongues, the personal tongues, type one tongues, if you will. And Paul talked about that, how they're fine. 
and dandy, but they're not very helpful for edifying the group of, 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 of believers. We need to prophesy for that. And that's what they did as well. So it's a combination. Maybe some of them were worshiping themselves because they were excited. They received the Holy Spirit. They finally can encounter the Holy Spirit in a personal way, finally, after all this time. And maybe some of them said, listen, we need to talk about this. And so they start prophesying, communicating with one another. So that's kind of what we saw when Paul returned to Ephesus. And this is what Paul was speaking about in 1 Corinthians 14. And this is some of what we saw here with this other funky kind of type 2 tongues. Don't see much happening nowadays. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. It was miraculous. It would be cool to see it. I would love to see it. Don't get me wrong. But we don't normally see these things happening. But God can choose to do that if he wants to. of the